I think having challenges in your career and dealing with a lot of crap is really hard, but it can be very fulfilling at the same time too because of how it forces you to grow as a person. Hi. Hello. 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 Hello and welcome to Architecting. This is a podcast about the lives of architects. About the people and stories behind the buildings that we see around us and the images that brought them to life. And with the very international world that we live in. This show will purposefully be local and narrow. Only focusing on the Colorado community of designers. Hi, I'm the host of Architecting, Adam Wagner. I'm a Denver-based architect. I'm married to an architect. I have two architecture degrees and I've worked for a dozen different architecture firms in three different countries. But for these last five years, I've been rooted in Denver, where I am at Open Studio Architecture, and I teach at the University of Colorado, Denver. I love connecting with with other designers and learning from their experiences. Now I'm broadcasting these stories with the goal of creating a stronger local community. And that brings us to our guest today, Casey Taylor who is the founder of the 5WH and an architect at Page, Sutherland Page. So I came in contact with Casey through the the Christopher Kelly Leadership Program, uh, an AIA program that my wife, Rebecca Wagner, chairs. Um, and Casey has, uh, I guess, the, the, I mean, the really surprising distinction of being the only Black female architect in the state of Colorado. Um, so Casey grew up in LA. She attended the University of San Francisco and then Tulane before moving to Denver. And, and through her career, she has shown a, a really inspiring passion for helping people and, and improving the lives of others with design. Um, and in this interview, she tells us her, her frank and, and powerful story of, of navigating the built environment in general and, and navigating the profession as a, a Black woman. Uh, so for me, it was a, a really eye-opening and, and challenging conversation. Um, hers is a story that is is quite different from mine. My story and experiences as a white male within this profession, um, and she and, and others like her experience a real uphill battle uh, in addition to the regular difficulties of, of working as an architect. And so I, I hope this episode helps stimulate conversations uh, for you and or actions in, in your own lives, uh, we still have a long way to go with with this. So um, today after the, the credits, uh, there's another bonus episode that includes an extended conversation that we had um, about race and the profession, as well as what Casey is, is currently pushing forward with AIA Colorado. So I hope you enjoy. So our goal at Architecting is to help connect Colorado designers, and nobody is already doing this better than Modern in Denver. For over a decade, Modern in Denver has been striving to bring architects together and to educate the public about what good design can be and can accomplish. I'm very excited to be working together with them now on this shared goal. So over the years, they have constantly created fantastically curated stories about Colorado designers and projects and work to connect the profession with live local events. So go out now, buy a copy of their new print issue, subscribe to their weekly email list, and follow them on Instagram. 
what's life look like right now? Um, it's really busy. Uh, we just started CA for um, uh, an officer position project with Paige. Mm. And so it's been just like nonstop, just craziness right now. Um, kind of hacking through all of our Melbourne archives and all the beginning fun stuff. And it's just like, here are all of our questions. <laughs> We need them tomorrow. So, um, yeah, it's been really busy. And then some of my own personal projects, um, getting a permit set, response comments out, some design projects going on as well. So it's just been nonstop. And it's Whoa. Good. How do you, how do you balance that? So like how many, how many, A, does Paige know that you're working on something else? <laughs> and yeah, and so... how many, what's your hours <laughs> look like? Yeah. So Paige knows um, when that 5280 article came out, it kind of became public <laughs> yeah um and they've been actually been really supportive um mm. and and that's been surprisingly great um and hours wise a lot <laughs> so basically working a full-time like basically two full-time jobs so i work a lot of nights and weekends all the time yeah so far. nice so. but it's been good though i think i think you know working remotely and for the last year i have you know i have a lot more time on my hands and so um, it's been a nice way of kind of staying busy and, and not kind of dealing with like COVID like anxiety and like, you know, just like, Oh God, what do I do now? <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. It, it fills up that time. There's, there's no time yeah. to sit and like, uh, hit, hit the end of the Netflix scroll and like, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's definitely been plenty of that, but like, <laughs> right. it's been a balance for sure. And, and luckily the projects of my, my, my own projects are small enough where I can like, you know, hack it out, you know, just kind of knock it all out pretty quickly within a, like a short mm. period of time. Um, so I don't have to, you know, I'm not spending a ton, a ton, a ton of time on these projects. Um, they're small enough where it's just, you know, I can like kind of get through things pretty quickly. So still a lot of work and I still spend a lot of time just like thinking about things and you're like, Oh God, I need to do this. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's been good. But it's probably pretty nice when you, I find it's the worst when you only have one thing to think about, right? Like we, we get stuck on one project and yeah, absolutely. having those multiple. Yeah. And it's also been nice too, because they're different. And so it's like, I move from mm. one design problem to the next, but they're different problems. And so it allows my brain to kind of switch into different kind of like mindset, which in going back to, you know, one issue, I actually sometimes have a better perspective to be able to be like, oh, we could do this to fix it, you know, or approach it this way. Um, so it's been definitely a challenge, but also interesting to see how things overlap and, and kind of relate to each other too, mm-hmm. between the two, the two, two realms. So. Yeah. Yeah. That 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 comes pretty naturally to you. Um, I've been in a lot of I've had a lot of positions where I've I've you know been managing multiple projects projects at a time, and so I've, I do better when I'm busy, and um, I feel like a part of it, the reason why is because I just don't have time to like overthink. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't like I can just like I, like I with like what do I need to do? What is the right answer? Let's think through really quickly and figure it out. Um. And that's kind of how I was also like in, in, in grad school and undergrad with architecture. I just, I worked con- continuously throughout both, um, at least usually between, you know, 20 hours a week in addition wow. to school. Huh. And so I had very little time. <laughs> so like me doing all nighters wasn't really a thing because I had very little time to work on stuff. And so because of that, I was able to get everything that I need to get done, done in a quick, you know, in a timely manner because I had no time. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I, I couldn't just like, just like pontificate on all the things that could happen. Like I was like, this is the direction that we need to go. We're going to go in this direction. <laughs> um, so 
it's there are definitely days where I'm just like overwhelmed and just like frazzled and like stressed out. And there's some days where it's just like it's like going. <laughs> but yeah. That's such a good skill to learn in school. Uh yeah, I feel like I didn't learn it till like later in grad school and you know, undergrad, yeah. You just yeah. have horrible time management. But was that was that pretty typical for people in your class to be working? Like in in my class of 65 I think there was two mm-hmm. two people who worked you know uh and so seeing my students who are all working it's it's kind of foreign a little bit but was that yeah. typical for um in undergrad yes I think the majority of my classmates had some sort of job whether it was like a you know like a TA position or some sort of like kind of work study program um so everyone kind of worked you know like 10 hours a week around mm-hmm. there um I did work study and I also had like a retail job downtown. Did I would mm. work on the weekends. I did like work study stuff during the week. Um, and in grad school, I was maybe one of two people who had a job. But I, I mean, my class, is, there's also like 14 of us in grad school. So it's oh, like really? the percentage is much higher. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, 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 it's hard. I mean, it's hard to be able to balance and do both. And um, for me, I just also, it kind of came down to like, how much money am I willing to go into debt <laughs> versus how much money can I make in the meantime to like offset some of those costs on the road? Um, and it, for me, it also, like, I just do better in life when I, when I have lots of things going on. Hmm. Um, so. So is that, is that part of how you would uh, explain yourself? So if you, if you had your two line bio that I make people do, uh, <laughs> is that part of it or? Um, possibly, possibly. Yeah, I definitely like, and I think it, kind of goes back to like my childhood where like my mom was always like you're in gymnastics and you're dancing and you're swimming and you're taking the piano lessons like there's always something that I was doing and so growing up in that kind of environment and now I'm just like what am I doing next what's the next step what am I what am I reading next what am I doing next which is a blessing and a curse at the same time because sometimes I have a hard time just being like I'm gonna sit here and watch Lawner SVU for the next 12 hours and that's fine you know so finding that balance is something sometimes can be a little difficult but I feel like as I've gotten older um I've been able to kind of prioritize you know kind of my own like you know self-help self self self-help and and kind of self-worth and 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 find that balance between working a ton and being productive but also just like taking time for myself and relaxing Mm. and like you know so yes and no (laughs) Mm. so where where did you grow up um I'm from LA so I grew up in LA born and raised um and I you know I lived there until I went to college Hmm. so what did that what did that kind of give you uh maybe personality wise or like uh how did it push you towards architecture or not or yeah well I think it, it I became aware of architecture and the idea of architecture and the idea that spaces can impact you in a way and you feel a particular way in spaces by growing up in LA and being around some great buildings. Um, and I think also part of it is, you know, I went, I was kind of in like the private school system all throughout elementary school and high school and stuff like that. And so um, I have a lot of friends who like parents are very wealthy and it's like, you know, being in their homes and these like magnificent, magnificent places and kind of really seeing what quality design does. Mm. and how that can make you feel um, was eye-opening for me then. Um, And I feel like I I, I was able to, it took a long time for me to be able to like verbalize what that meant to me Mm. and verbalize what I felt. Um, But that I think was like, I was always really just in awe of some of the buildings that I, you know, went into, you know, drove past by, um, that kind of stuff. 
So did, did that translate pretty easily into you saying, oh, I want to be an architect or? No. Yeah. Well, sort of. I, I actually didn't really realize, like, you know, I had it in the back of my mind, like, the idea of, like, oh, like, someone's designing this, I guess, somehow. Hmm. Um, but it wasn't really until my dad was like, oh, you should look into architecture. Because I think I was, like, talking to him about, like, oh, I really like this, whatever. Um, and so he's like, oh, you should, you know, think about architecture. And this was, like, maybe eighth or ninth grade. Um, and I was like, oh, okay, that could be interesting. And so, like, that kind of started getting me a little more interested in, like, potentially majoring in it and like what that might mean and I've just been with it ever since Mm. for the most part so but then so then you went to school in San Francisco yep I went to that choice like yeah because there's I mean there's a lot of schools in LA right I mean yeah well I think also growing up in LA and I love LA and it's you know my heart the part of my heart's still there it's home Mm. my family still lives there I was really excited to leave LA when I went away for college. I literally was just like, I'm not applying to any schools on the West Coast because I wanted something completely different. <sighs> and then I ended up at a school on the West Coast. <laughs> um, but, you know, San Francisco as a city is was a fantastic place to be, especially during the time when I was there. Um, and, and just, you know, being around the buildings there, the history, the culture, the life, um, you know, kind of having your first, not first, but your, your real experience of like being a quote unquote adult you know, mm. in a big city like that was spectacular. It was so much fun. Yeah. Um, and the program, you know, I was really attracted to the school because of the architecture program. Um, USF is a Jesuit university and, I, and I'm not all religious, but their approach, their, like the whole, their slogan was basically changing hearts and minds or uh, sorry, educating hearts and minds to change the world. Hmm. And like that, I was like, I like that. I vibe well with that. Yeah. And in the program, you know, there was 20 of us in my class so small really intimate um the architecture department was new I was I think the fourth to fifth graduating class in that program and it was really focused on designing for others it was really focusing on how can you use architecture as a tool to improve your environment and Hmm. the environment of of others around around you um and that really kind of formulated and, and and really I mean it made it really concrete my my approach and architecture and design and and why I like it and why I'm still in it. Hmm. That's interesting how you sort of ended up in in that small program with that direction. I mean, you you saw that when you were going into it, when you were applying there, that that was kind of, I feel like it's so hard when you're going into undergrad to actually understand what you're going into, right? Uh, Yeah. I think I, I didn't really know fully, but I, I definitely toured a bunch of different campuses and schools. And like, that was the one program that just felt right. Hmm. um for me I'm very much like kind of an intuition-based person it's like if it feels right if I like it feels like it just it feels right then I'll do it or if it doesn't hmm. feel right I won't do it um and of course it's like I go there and I visit it's like the one sunny most perfect beautiful day <laughs> in San Francisco ever lived and it was just like everything was wonderful and then I moved there and my freshman year they had record high rains and I was like why am I here <laughs> like moving from sunny southern California to like rainy and cold northern California um but it was it was a fantastic experience I guess like what what did what did that program look like to be more focused on people I guess you know it I mean obviously it probably starts with the studio projects and the kind of focus of that uh and faculty and you know what else what else kind of made it special yeah so they have a um very robust community design program and Mm -hmm. 
I worked on several projects um, with local nonprofits that have um, products all over the all over really Central America and also some in Africa as well, um, designing and then building those projects. So mm. um, one of them I worked on was a community center in Nicaragua. So I you know worked on the design amongst myself and many other people, and then you know during a summer we went down there for a month and helped build. Mm. Um, and so, and, and we also work with nonprofits in San Francisco as well. And so working on projects that had a lot of meaning and had a lot of impact for other people was very much a foundation for a lot of the projects that we worked on either, you know, studio based or kind of more like real life application based as well. Hmm. Um, and I think being in San Francisco itself in such a city that's, you know, kind of been founded on like advocacy and, and, and fighting for people's rights, um, you kind of like, that's kind of just like in the feeling and the vibe of the city. Yeah. Um, of, of wanting to help and, and help others. Yeah. So then you graduated and what happened? Graduated in What'd you do with all that? I, I, <laughs> idealism. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Idealism in 2009. So, yeah. 2009. Reception <laughs> is in full swing. Um, so I actually, so my senior year of college I applied to grad schools and I got into a few places but I wasn't excited I wasn't really looking forward to it and I think for me I just like needed like a break a break from school like a bit of a pause and so I took a break I moved back to LA and I was working um for um a consulting firm that does a lot of ergonomic design um Mm. and kind of so somewhat architecture related but like not still dealing with like the human body and then um I reapplied to grad school and um I was like I really realized like I only needed like a summer off because <laughs> like four months after graduating, I was very bored. Um, and so I reapplied to grad school and um, then I went to Tulane uh, the following year. What was that choice like? I mean, it's, it's not an obvious location change, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, a part of it is, so they also have an urban build program, which they, you know, one semester is design and one other semester is building of homes hmm. within different neighborhoods um, kind of, in need, um, in, in New Orleans. And so that was really attractive. Also attractive, you know, it's a small program. There were 14 of us in my class. Um, and, um, it was also a fairly new program as well. Um, so I kind of have this weird habit of being like a guinea pig, which is good and bad. Um, and, you know, New Orleans is such an awesome and weird place. And, you know, I, I never, it's one of those places where it's like, I never would have moved there had I not, had it not been for, for school. Um, and same with San Francisco, to be honest. And when I went and I visited, it felt familiar and also very different. It mm. felt familiar in the sense that there's a lot of elements of New Orleans that remind me of the Bay. And, um, but then like the Bay, like on like drugs, it's like <laughs> really intense. Um, the nightlife, the, the <laughs> like a lot everything. sweatier. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> very sweaty. <laughs> Um, my, I have a, my stepmom's cousin lives in New Orleans and she was, she was going to take me around when I went to visit. And she was like, the one thing you for sure will always be, or the two things you'll for sure will always be in New Orleans is full and drunk. Um, and I'm like, yep, that's, that, that's accurate. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, being able to kind of go to school in such a vibrant city with such a vibrant culture and history, um, but also with a lot of issues, um, and being in a place that was very different from other places I lived was a fantastic eye-opening experience. Um, and you know, it being in grad school in New Orleans made it a lot of fun. Mm. <laughs> um, we had a lot of fun, but we also worked really hard too. Yeah. 
So what what was it about your was there something about your your background or upbringing like of really desiring that idea of building into community and people and you know I mean yeah most architects maybe say that but not to the extent that you've actually you're actually doing it right with the trying to do it trying to do it yeah or at least at that at least at that point you go you know the schools you were choosing that you know that was the direction yeah yeah um I think a part of it is you know kind of being a female and being a black female at that you know I've I've always been in situation environments where I never felt included I never felt Mm. that I was that they were designed for me um and so I think I, I never really recognized that or knew exactly that's what it was until, you know, later on in life. Um, but that feeling of exclusion and that feeling of not being welcomed, I think resonated and kind of sat with me in a way that when I came across these programs of like, let's help others, let's mm. do good for others. I was like, yeah, let's make people feel good. Like mm. let's make people you know, be in an environment that can be uplifting and be impactful in a positive way and, you know, be kind of like the background that hopefully helps them, you know, change their lives for the better. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think kind of my, my background in that sense has definitely played a role in terms of how I approach architecture and how I approach design, what, you know, kind of what architecture is for me um, and kind of why I'm in this profession yeah. versus something else. Well, what do, do you have is like, what's, do you have a distinct kind of memory of 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 that feeling that architecture was excluding you early on? And maybe it's not architecture, and but yeah. Yeah, I think I think you come into spaces and you feel like not only the scale is off, like as not just something that's very specific to you know being an African American or anything like that, but like you come into a space, it's cold, it's dark, it's quiet scales off it's not made and fitting for you and then laying on top of that the policies and procedures that are occurring in those buildings Mm. and then you know the looks that you get when you're in these spaces and it's all about that kind of feeling that you get and the vibe that you experience and then in addition to it it's that certain types of buildings are very representative of uh i would say certain elements in buildings are very, very representative of certain times in history Mm-hmm. and which are a direct correlation for example like you know colonies and like kind of plantation style homes there's like for me that is equating to slavery mm-hmm. and that is a direct representation of the fact that that is a symbol of power and the fact that people build you know government buildings and you know very you know power driven buildings with those forms mm-hmm. is a dis- kind of a direct correlation of being like this isn't for you this isn't made for you you're you don't belong here mm-hmm. um and yeah, it's really unfortunate when you're in a space that you, where you have to be, whether it's school, uh, work that you don't feel included and you don't feel like you're there, you're supposed to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, and that takes a toll. Yeah. Okay. So, so you, yeah, you did, you did Tulane mm-hmm. and then, then what was next? After Tulane, I moved back to the Bay. Um, I was living in Oakland and working um, in San Francisco for about three-ish years. Um, I worked for a firm based in San Francisco that their portfolio was half affordable housing projects and half schools. Hmm. And I worked on their affordable housing project side. 
Um, and that was a fantastic experience. Um, I, the company I was working for was, you know, you know, female owned, um, about 25 to 30 employees. So, you know, on the mid-ish size, uh, but still on the smaller mid-size. Um, and we're working on projects, you know, in public housing in San Francisco. Mm. And we're working with clients who are incredibly uh, underrepresented and marginalized and um, deal with all the crap that comes with living in cities and in the history and the politics of, you know, redlining and discrimination. Like those projects were the representation of those things in our current time. And um, it was a wonderful, hard experience um, of being a, being a part of involved in those projects. And I learned a ton. Um, and with that firm, you know, I, my boss was fantastic. She basically just like, here, here, you're going to manage these projects. And I was like, mm. I don't know what I'm doing. And she's like, you'll figure it out. <laughs> and so I got a lot of responsibility very quickly. Mm. And I, I loved it. <laughs> I loved being kind of like thrust in that position where I was uncomfortable most of the time and didn't know what I was doing most of the time, but I got comfortable in it. And I learned how to ask questions. I learned how to you know, be proactive and be like, I don't know what, what's happening. Like help me. Um, and because of that, I think I've had a lot of, you know, being somewhat young in the profession. Um, I've had a lot of great opportunities since then in terms of being, you know, in a position of leadership at other firms and, um, taking on more responsibility than someone potentially at my age might have been able to do. Yeah. Um, so I'm really grateful for that. That seems really powerful that, you know, normally, or a lot of times you come out of school with some grand ideas and then it's, it's hard to put those into play. Right. And you, you, yeah. were, you were able to get into a firm that's, that's doing that. And then to, to get that kind of leadership and responsibility right away. Uh, yeah. That yeah. Seems like a lucky and I think or a good situation. Yeah. I think it really worked out well to an extent because, you know, the recession caused that whole like missing middle, mm-hmm. you know, all those people who left that population or the, the profession at that time. And so, there was a really big need for those people, but no one was there. And mm-hmm. so the opportunity was there for me to be able to kind of step into it and to grow into it. Um, and so it's kind of just weirdly good timing <laughs> in a weird way. <laughs> um, and then also, of course, having a boss who, you know, was a woman and understood that like, I probably would not get the same opportunities out of the firms. And so mm-hmm. she's like, I'm going to give you these opportunities mm-hmm. and you're going to do well. Um, what was that from? So, what was the name? Uh, Gelfin Partners Architects. Okay. So then, so then why aren't you still there? So, <laughs> what happened next? <laughs> so I was there and I were, I was working for them, um, for a little while and I got licensed there. And, um, I, I think I just got to the point where I was like, you know, the whole me always being busy and like always striving for the next thing. I was kind of like, well, what's next? You know, I got my license, like to the, I hit this milestone in my career, you know, and I was like 27 or 28 at the time. It's like, kind of like now what? <laughs> and <laughs> now I'll and get so, comfortable. Yeah. 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 You know, or and, and, but I guess I'm like never really been really comfortable with getting too comfortable with things. Right, like, I always yeah. find myself like changing things up when I get too comfortable, which is like good and bad. <laughs> um, but, and so, you know, and then, and then the city itself has been changing so much and the Bay has got increasingly year by year, incredibly more expensive. And I was just kind of ready for a change of place and change of scenery. Um, I, you know, I'd lived in the Bay for at that time about seven years of my mm-hmm. life and, um, you know, the, the longest place I've lived outside of LA and 
Um, you know, the base has always been, it will always be home for me for sure, but I just was ready for a different place to feel like I can really, you know, hone in my skills more and kind of dive in and, and be, and create something like be something and create something. Um, and so I was kind of like, you know, looking at a lot, a bunch of different cities. And at the time, my boyfriend at the time lived in Colorado. And so I was like visiting hmm. and, um, so I was like, okay, you know, maybe I could move here and I liked it you know, I, I love to ski. I love to rock climb, I love to camp, like all that crap. And so I was like being able to do that, you know, closer than three hours away that it is, you know, to Tahoe. um, and kind of being in a smaller city, that's something more affordable. Um, and being in a state that's growing and growing rapidly and being the idea of being able to be a part of that growth was very exciting, um, and very intriguing. And, um, also the idea of like living in a city that snows was like, Mm. <laughs> I was very excited about that. There's, there's less sweat here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> less sweat, but very, very dry. I learned, I've learned very quickly. <laughs> um, so yeah, so Colorado was kind of just a really, a really appealing option. I was also looking at a couple other cities, but I think Colorado would just, it felt like it had the most opportunity for me long-term um, and kind of the place that has the most um, kind of like quality of life that I was looking for. Yeah. So where did you, what was the job market like then? How, where did you look around? You um, so I ended up at uh, John Smith and Stroh, so mm. at JNS. Mm -hmm. um, and I was there for about a year and a half. Um, and yeah, that was an interesting experience. Not, um, not as much uh, affordable housing. There, no, right? and, and that's also a part of it too. Is like I was looking to kind of broaden my hmm my knowledge base, you know, like I, I, I had, you know, I, I was getting really good at the affordable housing side and kind of addressing those issues and those concerns within that. But I felt that especially those are also affordable housing, um, renovations too. Hmm. So I was really interested in getting excited about, you know, doing the new build or doing something that's was a little different and kind of being able to get the experience of other types of projects. And so working for a firm that did not do that, did not do much of that. You know, they, they definitely had some affordable housing, projects in their portfolio, but it wasn't their bread and butter. It wasn't their kind of go-to projects, um, was an interesting change and it was a nice design challenge. Um, and so I worked on a few, um, hotel projects with them and, um, learned a whole new, you know, set of skills and, um, yeah. Was, yeah. There's something for, for just, you know, they, I feel like they, they craft buildings very well and, mm -hmm. and learning, learning that. Right. And it's hard to try to think that, yeah, we, we live a long time and we can focus on one thing for a few years and go to something else and not get freaked yeah. out about, I'm not doing exactly what I want, but, uh, yeah. So then what after that? And so, um, I left JNS, um, after a year and a half, um, they're really, really good designers, but I struggled a lot with the management. Hmm. Um, and so definitely part of that was being a female in a management role, um, being a black female in management role, I definitely clashed with some of my coworkers because of that. And I mm. dealt with a lot of crap because of that. Mm. Um, and so I remember one day I was like, I need to get the fuck out. Mm. <laughs> I was like, I gotta go. Mm. And so I started switching around and I, um, ended up, um, getting a job with Kephart. Mm. Um, and I, you know, I was attracted to them because, you know, they're, you know, hundred percent housing and I wanted to kind of get back into the housing realm and they also do some affordable housing sometimes as well. Um, and the, the company culture was a little bit more in line with what I was looking for. 
Mm. Um, and so I was with them um, for about almost two years. Um, it's usually like my year and a half mark is like my like, oh, well, I feel like after a year and a half, you really see what the firm's about. Yeah. <laughs> and then you're like, okay, maybe this isn't for me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it's, but it's got to be hard if you, if you have, if you have like, like you are being in a position of, of possibly coming in con in conflict at a firm, right. To be able to yeah. feel that right away or, or not. Yeah. Right. Uh, yes. So, I mean, sometimes it's not right away. I think a lot of people are like, Oh my God, you're blocking your family or an architect. Whoa. Like, so there's mm -hmm. a, this like novelty attached to it, but then, you know, after a couple of months when you're pushing back on things and you're saying like, Oh, well, what if we try it this way? They're like, Oh no, no, you don't, you don't know what you're talking about. Hmm. You're like, well, no, 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 we, we can't do that. That's not how it's done here. Hmm. And, you know, being dismissive, being, um, <laughs> having, uh, younger coworkers question my decisions and question my decisions to our bosses. Hmm. And then having my bosses come to me being like, Oh, why did you do it this way? It's like, because that's how it's supposed to be done. Hmm. And then be like, Oh, right. Okay. You know, and, and, and basically listening to the younger staff, uh, complain about me, say that I'm aggressive, say that I'm, you know, mean mm -hmm. <laughs> when I'm just asking them to do their job and I'm asking to do them job, their job in a very professional and like friendly manner. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, and, and, you know, I've had coworkers, uh, talk to me in very inappropriate ways. And I've been very vocal about, you do not speak to me that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, then being almost being put into trouble because I stood up for, my, stood up for myself. Hmm. Um, I've had that happen on multiple, multiple occasions. Um, I was actually fired from a job because I stood up for myself wow. and I wouldn't take their bullshit. <laughs> huh. Um, and, um, yeah, it's really, it's really crappy sometimes. And, you know, I think, uh, I think one of the prompt questions that you're asked about, like, you know, when have you ever felt um, you know, like, like you wanted to leave the profession. And I have felt that many times, no matter, even like, I love architecture and I love what it can do. I have felt that this profession is incredibly exclusive. It is incredibly, um, discriminatory, um, both in the profession itself in terms of working here, but also the design practices that a lot of firms have. Hmm. Um, and I think it can be much better and it has a lot of room to improve. Um, and I want to be a part of that, <laughs> yeah. part of that, you know, making it better, making it, you know, making that change. Did you, did you feel a difference when you were in San Francisco and in, 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 in Geffen? Like, obviously oh, yeah. it's probably, yeah, yeah. A lot more diverse and, and, and just the structure that a boss can set up, I guess. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, a lot more of a diverse city, a lot more liberal of a city. Um, mm -hmm. I think people, you know, Colorado, I think has, has the, on a face value is looks very liberal, but it's actually not. <laughs> um, and, um, the Bay is just way more accepting and open of, of, of all kinds of people. And, and, and they've always been like that, even though they, you know, San Francisco still has its issues for sure. Um, and I know for a fact that, um, had I stayed at that firm, I, you know, I would have been, an associate or a principal by now. Um, mm -hmm. I, you know, would have had ownership of it right now, but I also knew that, um, had I left that firm and gone somewhere else, like I would not probably have had the drive that I have now to start my own thing. Yeah. Um, so I think, I think having challenges in your career and dealing with a lot of crap 
is really hard, but it can be very fulfilling at the same time too, because of how it forces you to grow as a person and how it forces you to really, you know, find your inner, for lack of a better word, balls and like fucking just like, (laughs) (laughs) you know, just do what feels right to you and be true to yourself. Um, Well, and just that idea of, yeah, I mean, you could have stayed in San Francisco and you, or you could have left the profession or you left the profession, but you're not yeah. helping people here or helping to yeah. challenge. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And so I'm overall, even though I've dealt with a lot of stuff since living in Colorado um, professionally, um, I'm happy I moved here. I'm happy I'm in this environment. I'm happy I've been challenged this way. I'm happy that I've, you know, learned a ton about so many different things, good and bad. Um, and I'm very happy and grateful for all the opportunities that I've had. And, um, I'm excited to kind of, you know, help shift things forward. So other people coming up in this profession don't have to deal with the same issues I've had to deal with. However, I'm sure that they'll have their own issues we'll have to deal with. Um, but hopefully it'll be, you know, a little bit less discriminatory and a little bit less race-based it'll be you know something else something else something else that we <laughs> Who knows? That puts people we'll down like, yeah yeah discrimin- or hopefully or hopefully <laughs> it's, you know it's, it's something's a little bit less you know not putting people down but it's like they're dealing with like you know what it means to work remotely all the time i don't know right, <laughs> like, right. um it'll be a little different yeah so you were there for about two years and then i'm like looking at your 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 linkedin here oh, yeah. and like going down and down uh i like and that then, uh and then engine eight is that yeah it, Yep. And then I was at Engine8 um, for about nine months. Um, and us, you know, kind of brand new small firm here in Colorado, started by two two uh, architects who worked at SAR for a really long time. Um, that was um, a really toxic environment, to say the least. Um, it was really toxic. <laughs> um, I. I feel like that was a very, you know, pinnacle experience for me of, of really noticing and experiencing microaggressions and, um, macroaggressions and, um, you know, gaslighting and being told that I'm doing a bad job, even though I'm working really hard. Um, I, uh, I've never felt so, uh, kind of diminished and put down there in a mm. firm that I, that I felt than I than working there. Um, and I left there, I was actually fired there from after kind of standing up to myself because I was basically being told that I wasn't doing a good job and I wasn't, um, doing the work that I was asked to do, even though I was, and had documentation of that. Um, and I stood up for myself and I was just like, this is, this is absolutely unacceptable. Like, I cannot believe that you're trying to like say that I'm not doing my job. And, um, I, it took me like, I, I feel like that company was just very kind of emotionally abusive. I came out of it having a kind of, kind of having like PTSD from that experience and having to really work hard to kind of find my comfort level again and mm-hmm. find my like, Oh, right. I do actually know what I'm doing. Um, kind of voice again. Um, and that's something that no one should have to go through. <laughs> Yeah. How many, how many people were, how many people were at that firm when you were there? There's four of us, which is a part of the problem. Yeah. And so it was, it was, was it, was it, was it across the board that kind of, uh, 
environment so the, or was it directed towards you you know i mean um it was it was definitely across the board um but i, I got it in a different way than my coworker got it hmm. for sure so um it's really unfortunate because um i was really excited for the opportunity to work there i thought that the company had a lot of really interesting projects and a lot of really interesting um kind of like growth, I could see them being, you know, like a powerhouse here in Denver and, and, and not just in Denver, like all over the country. I think, um, I was very excited for the experience and I was very much let down. Hmm. Um, and yeah, that was very unfortunate. Cause it's so difficult with those ultra small firms, right? Like personalities yeah. really come to the fore and relationships. Yep. And, and so then you were like, I'm going off to Page. I'm going off to a big firm and see if this <laughs> yeah. is better. Or yeah, I mean, I didn't really have the choice. I was right. looking, at the time before I got fired. I was actually I had already started switching for jobs a few months prior, um, and I was trying to make take my time and make like the right decision so I wouldn't end up in a similar situation down the road and not just like rush to something else. Um, but um, yeah, so I got fired, and then I was searching around at several firms here in Colorado, and um, I got a few different offers, and and Page felt right. I had, um, a really good interview. I just had really good connections and conversations with, with some of the principals there. And, um, they were very much just like, you know, we don't do things just because it's the way that we do things. You know, we want you to be a part of something. We want you to, you know, have a voice, use your voice, um, speak up when, you know, when you're, when things aren't going well. Um, and they've really stayed true to that. Um, you know, I started working there three weeks before quarantine started. Oh. Uh, <laughs> welcome. Welcome so, to the firm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, I was still like learning people's names when I was just like, and gone. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I'm still, I think, like the new employee there, which is funny. Um but now it's easier to know people's names because it's just under under their yeah, face exactly. and zoom all the time. Yeah. Exactly. It's like everyone's wearing a name tag. Yeah. <laughs> and so um they have very much, I mean, throughout this whole stressful last year, it, they have been incredibly supportive, um, not only in terms of, you know, our own comfort level but of, of, and supporting us to work remotely and giving everything the tools we need to do that. Um, but, um, you know, kind of supportive with the fact that I, you know, wanted to start my own company and, and, and you know, wanted to, you know, really wanted to see if I really wanted to see if I wanted to work for myself and allowing me that the flexibility to be able to do that um, in terms of like, you know, not having issues that you know that I'm working on single family projects mm. outside of work. Um and um they have been, yeah, they've just been a really positive experience, a really good group of people. Um and yeah, it's been mm. it's been great. Because they're so they're like a, a pretty old firm, right? From Texas. But yeah, is yeah. it are they pretty recent? here I would always I used to live downtown I would I would like walk past their office every morning you know yeah. and kind of look in but I guess they're yeah, not there so anymore but. they've been in Denver for I want to say like six years maybe a little bit longer mm. um but they're based in, in Texas and and there's offices there's like six or seven offices all over the country um and um we're in Republic Plaza now so they like switch locations they used to be on like 15th street yeah and like Blake or something like that mm -hmm. um and uh, from out of all the offices, I think Denver's not the smallest, but close to the smallest. I think we're about like 35 or 40 people yeah. right now. Um, whereas like the Houston office is like 100 plus people. Um, so yeah, what's, that, so what's that been like? Because that, 
you've worked at a lot of firms, right? But that's yeah. kind of like the first like uh, more corporate firm, right? Yeah. And it, I was a little worried about how corporate it would feel, but it doesn't really feel corporate. And I think a part of that is because I'm with a smaller office in mm-hmm. a newer city or an office with has a newer office in a newer city. Um, and so um, I think we've kind of, from, you know, from what I've seen so far, they've had their own distinct, a little bit more distinct culture and a little bit more distinct ways of doing things. And, you know, there are, of course, their bureaucracy and, and sometimes getting something, you know, some answer, some decisions may take a little bit longer because there's a lot of channels that you have to go through. But it really hasn't felt, you know, that like, quote unquote, big firm that you're just a number at all. Yeah. And that's what has always been kind of a fear of mine of like working for a firm of this scale is like, oh, I'm just number <laughs> 572 and you know whatever Here's um, my cubicle yeah 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 exactly <laughs> but it's i mean they've been it's been really great um so yeah yeah i think that's awesome. it it's an interesting thing because I, I feel the same way where i i don't like this idea of a corporate firm and of 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 being part of this huge mass you know but of course yeah. my wife works at Gensler is like the huge firm right and right. always trying to convert me and saying it's so nice and no but I, I see you know and there's definitely those there's those benefits of the kind of like hive learning or something like that right like all the resources yeah. that you have and and thinking about sort of the challenges that are world faces and mm-hmm. it seems like those are the firms that are able to tackle start tackling those right like working yeah. on a larger scale but it does just scare me this idea of like firms eating up bigger smaller bigger 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 you know and what yeah. what does it does it allow for someone like you and me having our own firm of one person or two people but i would say yes it does because i think we're successful when there's diversity around mm. diversity of people diversity mm. in economies diversity in scales in terms of project types like we we need big firms, we need small firms, and we need firms in between. Um, and I think that, I think people forget that in the, in the sense of like, you know, a lot of companies, they just want to get big and be, you know, really powerful. And it's like, I don't want that for myself. Like, yeah. I want to have projects that mean something to me that I can really dive into and give my all to and be really proud of and, you know, really make my clients happy. Hmm. and excited and then move on to something else that also does that mm-hmm. and so that means you know i say just me or you know maybe one day i'll have an employee that's <laughs> that's fine like i didn't come into architecture to become like a multi-millionaire right <laughs> if i want to do that i would not have done architecture <laughs> <laughs> um but i still think i mean i still think you can be you know a very well off person working in architecture i think it depends on you know how you go about it and um I think there's room for, there's room for everyone there. Yeah. We just have to make sure that we make room for people as well. Yeah. Um, so, so that, that leads us into, how do you say it? The five WH? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't know if it was like the five was turning into an S or like, <laughs> I was trying to read it for a while as a word, but uh, so tell me about like the genesis of that and the, and the name and kind of what, what, what prompted it? How did, yeah, how did it start? Yeah. So, um, I have been thinking about kind of this idea for a while and um, I, I think it kind of was in, in in reaction to my experience of design at some of the companies I've worked at um, in Colorado specifically and um, how design wasn't really focused on the people who are going to be using the spaces, but they're focused on like how much money we can make and, mm-hmm. you know, how much square footage we can squeeze out of this unit. 
to make it work. Um, there are a lot of conversations of like, you know, skinning a building and like that, you know, the skin and the materials you use is the architecture of the building. It's like, that's not it. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and so just having all these conversations and, and situations come up and like, that just feels really wrong to me. Um, and I'm and trying to like analyze like what, what about this feels weird. And I think a part of it is that, um, people weren't, we weren't taking the time to really ask the questions of why we're doing this and what's the importance of this. And so it kind of got me into the idea of like the five WH, which is, um, the six questions that you ask when problem solving. Mm. So who, what, when, where, why, and how. Nice. Like and, that. um, and so, and so really kind of taking that on and as a, as a reminder of always be asking those questions throughout the design process, throughout everything to, to always be checking in and, and kind of taking that pause as to like, is, is how we're going about this the right way? Um, is there something else we should be doing? How are we doing this? Well, you know, how do we achieve these things? Um, and, and just always questioning, always asking those questions. So, so you're like, I, I want to start this. And then did you get a project or did you get a project? And then you said, I want to start this, but no, was it like? was like, it was like, I have this idea. I don't really want to start my own firm this seems scary. <laughs> like I don't want to do work for myself. This seems like a lot of work. And it just was like, you know, I think I, I came up with the idea like in 2008 and I'm sorry, 2018. And, um, I was like, after like working at, you know, Kefir and then going to like engineer and my experience engineer. And I was just really, I was like, I need to work for myself. This isn't going to work long-term. I feel like I'm jumping to firm to firm. I probably won't be satisfied until, I, I'm my own boss. And so I don't have to like deal with microaggressions and other people and like all that kind of crap that comes with it. Um, and I was like, I need to just see what happens with this. <laughs> and so I, you know, put a website together and it was, was became a little, a lot more intentional with it. Um, and that was kind of happening as I was still working at engineer. And then, um, it was pretty much solidified by the time I got to page. Um, and, uh, yeah. And so I, how did it start? Um, I was a part of, um, this cohort, um, for basically black female entrepreneurs hmm. and it was basically a business incubator. Um, what, what's it so, called? um, it's through Sistabiz. Um, okay. it's a program here. Um, and they, they really support and, you know, um, provide a lot of support and facilitation for people to really grow and, start and grow their businesses specifically mm. for black women. And, um, that was a very, really interesting kind of eye-opening, um, experience of learning, you know, the ways and things you need to do to run a business. Like I knew none of those things. I didn't have a business minor or anything like that. <laughs> and so that was really helpful. And then kind of from there, um, uh, they did an article about me, um, uh, because, I, at the time, and I, I still think I am currently, I'm not entirely sure yet, but, um, I was the only licensed female black architect in the state of Colorado. Um, crazy. yeah, it's yeah. nuts. It's horrendous. <laughs> actually, actually sucks. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, um, and so that article then, then led to a 5280 article last summer. Um, and then I've had a lot of leads and clients kind of contact me through that. Mm. Um, so that's kind of sparked the first project. Was that pretty exciting? Just meeting other entrepreneurs like yourself. I mean, yeah. You know, Cause what I, I was surprised. I looked at the stats like last year, I think what Colorado is like 5% African-American, like the popular, it's such a small number, which I, I wouldn't have said. Um, and so 
so tapping into that community. I mean, probably a lot of inspiring people. Yeah. I mean, it was really great to be around other females who are also black, who understand the experience and the the fact that we've also like a lot of us started, decided to start our own companies for the same reasons. The fact that we've been dealing with all this shit for so long Mm. from all these other companies and we're tired of being like beaten down and, you know, having to work three times as hard as, you know, a white employee and get paid less and, um, having to just continuously fighting, be fighting, be fighting for our voice, be fighting for our opinion, be fighting for our positions, um, constantly having to prove ourselves that, Oh yeah, I've been working in architecture for 10 years. Do I know Revit? Like stuff (laughs) like that. Um, I'm licensed. I've been licensed since 2015. People asking me about some of the most basic code stuff being like, Oh, are you sure about that? It's like, yes, (laughs) I am sure. (laughs) Um, it gets exhausting. It's exhausting always having to kind of, you know, have that fight all the time. And, um, and so I think being around other women who, who understood that and who, who felt that and who, who got that and experienced that in their own, you know, affiliated professions, um, was really refreshing because it was like, Oh great. I'm not crazy. (laughs) Mm. I'm not the only one. And that's been also very difficult in architecture is that I am the only one. It is so difficult to be the only one of something somewhere because you're alone. It's lonely. Yeah. There are very few people um, who I've interacted with, very few coworkers who can really genuinely, truly understand my experience. And I know I, I, I've met a lot of people um, who, since, since some of my experiences, who uh, also get it. <laughs> and that's been really nice, kind of growing my network, my network in that way. Um, but it is very, it's very hard to be alone. Yeah. Man, I bet. I, you know, I, obviously I have no... I have no frame reference for, for that feeling. Um, but I, I think like, has it also been sort of exhausting this year, last year with like this, like now kind of spotlight that's come on you and this renewed focus is that yeah, you know, people looking to you for answers in a way or yeah. It's interesting. It's kind of like a double-edged sword because like I do have answers and I, I do have my opinions and I do have, you know, ideas of how things should be different and how things should change. But at the same time, I think, you know, um, it's really important for uh, kind of that tokenism to not happen, to be not for, you know, for people to not be like, oh, you're black, you'll know things yeah. and kind of expect that um, versus, you know, people who aren't of color taking the initiative and, 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 and taking advantage of all of the materials that are out there to learn for themselves and educate themselves and make themselves aware of their own issues, their own biases and learn from them and change Mm -hmm. and then take that education and teach someone else those things. Mm. Um, And, you know, everyone's talking about uh, the idea of, of being an ally and being an advocate. And I don't want an ally or an advocate. Mm. Um, Someone told me this, this, this thing in the past, she was like, I'm looking for an accomplice. And I'm like, Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> mm. I am looking for someone who's doing the same thing I am and working hard side by side, fighting for the same, the same thing, fighting the good fight with me. I don't want someone cheering me on in the background. Mm. I'm my own fucking cheerleader. Like <laughs> I've always, I've had, and I always will be. I want someone who's there doing the work with me. And, um, for me, the way I see it is that unless you're doing that work and you're, and you're putting the effort in and the time to learn about all these things, to learn about the history of the U S learn about the history and experience of, of all black and brown people in the U S 
um, like you're, and then, and then once you learn those things, sharing those, sharing those lessons and, and, and really taking the time to dive into why things are the way they are and how you as a person, um, contribute to those norms and then change until you do all of that. Anything someone says or does is performative. Yeah. It doesn't mean there's, there's no ounce of worth to it until there are actions with it. Um, and I think, I think it's hard for, it's hard for a lot of, uh, I guess, white people to, to, um, be having, you know, kind of having put in your face, like, Oh, I'm also part of the problem. Yeah. Um, but I can tell you it's even harder having to deal with it. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, it's even harder to have to feel, you know, I, I'm always aware of my space when I'm going in, when I'm out in public, I'm always aware of who's around me. I'm always aware of the kind of feeling and the vibe of, of, of a space. I always know where the exits are. Mm. Um, mm. And I, I, there've been many times where I have said no to like going to certain bars or clubs or events because I'm just like, I don't know. I don't really feel like I'm going to feel comfortable there. Or I'm, I'm going to fit in there because of, of whatever it might be. Um, I'm also very aware of, uh, the friends I do things with and, you know, what environment I'm going to be in with this particular person. Do I feel this person's going to have my back if something happens? Um, it's really exhausting to have to always be that hyper aware and plan your life mm. around. Am I going to have to deal with some racist assholes because, you know, for some reason they're drunk. Is my friend going to back me up if something happens? You know, how it, 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 it's, it's like, I cannot even just begin to describe how shitty that, that feels that, that you have to do that. Mm. And, and that's just like in the social standpoint, imagine having to deal with that when every single day when you go to work. With like all the pressures that you have on normal architects, exactly. right? With, with that on, top on top of that. Yeah. Yeah. And then and on top of that, it's not only your coworkers and your bosses, it's the client, it's the, the contractors, it's the subs, you know, every single person on every single level within the architecture profession and around, you have to deal with that. It mm. is nonstop and it is exhausting. Mm. So for me, I don't need someone cheering me on, be like, you can do it. You can, you know, fight those battles. Like I need someone fighting those battles with me. Yeah. Um, I think that's, that's such a powerful kind of message for me. I, you know, like this, this idea of like, first I want to be like, Hey Casey, what, what do I do? Right. What do I do as a white guy? And it's like, yeah. no, like, okay, first I need to just do some research, right. I need, I need to do the work. And like, you know, I feel like I, I, I tried to have a kind of a, a conversation about race with uh, Nisia street on this show. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I, I did it. I didn't do a very good job. And, and afterwards we had a good long conversation and, and, um, you know, I grew up in the middle of Kansas with a adopted black sister. And so I'm mm-hmm. always like, you know, I'm not racist. I'm not, you know, or whatever, right. but it, but it doesn't, but then that stops me from doing the extra work, I think, you know, and even after yeah. when I talked to Anissa, she said, well, have you, what, what was your sister's experience like? And he was like, you know what? I've never fucking asked her. Like I've right. never asked her. Right. And so like, I went home for Christmas and finally asked her like, what's it like been like for you growing up in this town of 13,000 white people? And, <laughs> and she, yeah, well, she went on for an hour and a half telling me stories that I'd never heard. Right. And like, yeah. she's like a, a decade younger than me. So we didn't overlap as much, but just her experience in the city that we grew up with being totally 
totally opposite of mine. Right. And like, obviously yeah. I don't need to tell you this, but it was just, it was like that first thing of like, I'm not even doing the thing, talking to the person that I grew up with in my home, you know? And right. it's like, so now, yeah. What else, like, what else do I need to be doing? What else do I need to start? Yeah. Right. Um, and but, I think that's, that's a really interesting point. And I think that comes down to like, you became aware, <laughs> you know yeah. I mean? like you're, you're trying to open up your awareness. And I think a lot of people don't do that because it's hard. And it's like, yeah, life is hard. Yeah. Becoming a good person is difficult. Learning, unlearning the things that you have learned and, and unlearning the things that society has taught you is really hard. And kind of questioning your values and your beliefs is really challenging. Mm-hmm. But I don't have the privilege. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have the privilege to, to, to not do that. And I think that, you know, people who are non-people of color also shouldn't have the privilege to not do that. Mm-hmm. But you do. Yeah. And, and that's, that sucks. Yeah. <laughs> um, when it, it's so easy, just, yeah, if it doesn't, if I don't see it and it doesn't affect me to mm-hmm. put my Black Lives Matter sign up in my yard and keep going on my day. Right. I mean, yeah, yeah, uh, exactly. And, and I think, you know, and, and for me and, and some of my friends, you're asking about like, you know, your instinct is to be like, Oh, my black friend, like, what do you, you know, what do you, what's mm-hmm. your experience? How do we change this? And, and, and for me, it's like, depends on the person who asks me, hmm. it will depend upon how I answer. Sometimes hmm. I'll be very open to be like, we'll have a great conversation, but it's because I know they're coming from a place of authenticity. They're coming from a place of genuine care hmm. and they're coming from a place of, of, you know, they have done some of the work on their own to find some of these answers themselves. And it's not like, how do we solve it? It's like this specific question about the specific thing. What do you think about this? And it's like, oh, that's a great question, a great topic. To, you know, let's talk about that. Um, but when you have people who are like, oh, well, you should join this thing because, you know, from your background, you seem like you might know stuff. It's like, you mm-hmm. want me there because I'm black. And it's mm-hmm. like, granted, I have a lot of things to say and I could be a very beneficial person in this, you know, whatever capacity, but like, that's not my role. That's not, you know, my responsibility to teach you how to be a better human. Um, and um, it, it's an interesting kind of dichotomy where it's like, I want to be able to, and I, in some instances, I definitely do take the time to help others. But at the same time, it's like, I also can't take on that responsibility because it's not my responsibility to bear. Right. Yeah. And, and there's, there's probably so much, so much coming up, trying to be put on your shoulders at this time. I mean, it's like, I'm on the, uh, the Jedi committee at that CU. And it's mm-hmm. like, it's like seven white faculty members and, yep. and three black students. And it's all of like, you know, I feel, I feel for the one architecture grad student. Cause it's just like, it's kind of all on her. And we're like, well, what, what's wrong? You know, like what's, how mm-hmm. can we fix the school? But it's just like, she's like, I'm working. I'm a, going to school I can't I can't do this and yeah. I'm like you know and um and yeah so it's just obviously when you it's live, like, what do you do right yeah yeah and also like when you live that that's your daily mm-hmm. experience on top of you know being a student and working and then also being black or, or a person of color and dealing with all that entails just on the normal then to be put in a position where then you have to teach other people about your experience mm-hmm. and relive your experience over and over and over again it's like, it can be a lot. And then, you know, when you have, um, you know, like George Floyd shootings and, and, and seeing your people get murdered or, you know, the, like the eight, um, 
Asian Americans who were killed in Atlanta. Um, you know, even though I'm not Asian, like that took a toll for me. Mm. And every single time it does. Um, like the boulder stuff that happened, you know, just this week. Um, I ended up having to take a, a day off of work because I just like could not deal. Like I was mm. like spending the day just like crying. Mm. Um, it really takes a physical and emotional toll when you do not feel safe in the city that you live in. Yeah. Um, for many reasons. And it is really unfortunate that people don't have the empathy, um, don't have the empathy, empathy enough to be able to, um, sorry, my cat's mm-hmm. like, <laughs> she has something to say. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, to, to be able to have the empathy to, to understand that, like, you know, even though this is, hasn't happened to you, to be able to be like, this is really not okay. Mm. Um, and I think we all could, we all can learn from, we all can use a lot more, a lot more empathy in our lives to be able to um, really take someone's experience and, and feel for them and, and see, you know, how that could be so devastating, devastating and kind of hurtful and, be like, what can I do to make this better? What can I do in my own life? And even on like a very small scale to make this um, a little bit better for someone else. What can I do to not perpetuate these things? And um, that's where it starts. Well, and it's powerful, like you're saying, like on on an individual level, but then the profession you chose, right? You you have a power on a larger level. And I think that it's interesting, you know, just the amount of architecture that you can do right the things the amount of typologies or firms or whatever you can go into and it's right. i'm finding it's you know it's very hard to actually get a project that you really help people right that's not developer driven or not mm-hmm. or, you know and so how do you how do you see how do you see yourself like directing your firm forward in the future to to be able to be in that position maybe yeah I think um well I think a part of it and you know this is where I'm incredibly grateful for you know Paige and 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 them supporting me through all this is that I'm able to be picky right now about the products I take on because Mm. I'm not financially tied to them that's nice yeah yeah and so um one day maybe I will be um but like you know I I have I can be picky and um that allows me to work with clients who I feel I would go along with, who I feel, you know, I respect and they respect me, who, who I feel will just be a good fit and a fun experience. Um, and so definitely long-term, I think being able to really focus on and have, and, and build enough of a, of a foundation and project base to be able to get those kind of projects that I'm able to work with people who, um, you know, really have those kind of values in mind, I think is, is, is my, definitely my goal. Um, and I think, a lot of the people who have reached out for projects um, already have those values. Um, and I think a lot of those people who reached out, you know, they reach out to me specifically because they're looking for something different. Yeah. Um, and that's great. And yeah. so there definitely have been some people I kind of have to like, be like, no, thanks. <laughs> like, we're not going to vibe well together. And I can tell that you're reaching out to me because I'm a black female um, versus like, you know, you know, versus like my mission, my, my, my mission and kind of values and approach to architecture. Um, but I think, I think I, I will hopefully attract those people. Yeah. One day. Nice. <laughs> That's the goal. Soon. I can see it soon for you. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
Well, yeah, cool. You know, I just, I really thankful for you coming on and like giving us a really good story and a, a, just a powerful message about your experience. Uh, you know, something that me and a lot of white people don't <laughs> see, right? <laughs> I mean, uh, and, 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 um, yeah, I just really appreciate the the honesty there and, and the work that you're doing. And um, yeah, it's been fun seeing you kind of on the Christopher Kelly calls, like I spy yeah. on them a little bit. Uh, but, uh, yeah, yeah that's, lot, been, well, that's been a fun experience for sure. Being a part of that leadership program, meeting everyone virtually and, and kind of getting to know everyone through their, through their kind of you know, conversations. And it's been, it's been really interesting. Yeah. Um, well, cool. Yeah. It'd be, it'd be good to get together once, once this is all yeah, over and I love that. in person. So yeah, right. sounds good. Thanks. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this week's show. You can visit architecting.com. That's architect-ing.com to see images from this week's guest. And please rate and review the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Have a great week and keep connecting. I'm just so, I was so like dumbly nervous to talk to you, I guess. It's just like, I bought white fragility just to read before you. And like, I've been, (laughs) it's like, I need to do my homework. I need to do these. It's just, and it's, you know, it's getting into like, why is it so hard for white people to talk about this? And it's like, it really, it really is. And it's so dumb, but it's like, it just brings up weird emotions of like shame of my race, you know? And like, and just, yeah, I don't know, but, but yeah, thanks, thanks for making also, it easy. Yeah. So, yeah, of course. And I think also with it, it's like, you know, we've all been taught to not talk about it. Mm. And that's a part of the reason why we have so many issues is because we don't talk about them. Mm. And, and I think communication is so important for like everything in life. Um, but especially around, you know, difficult conversations and, and it's like, we, society has taught us that like these are things that are like taboo that you don't talk about politics and race you know what I mean mm-hmm. it's like and so we have to kind of break that and I think by having more of these conversations and really engaging in this way it becomes a little bit easier every single time yeah um I also have like a ton of resources if you want them mm, about yeah. um kind of like all this kind of stuff for like race and 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 I'm uh, I just got this book called disability visibility and it's mm. about like disability in design and architecture in the world and like um, you know, I, myself, like, even though I live this stuff, like I'm learning too. Um, yeah. and I'm learning, you know, you know, other ways of having to come across these kind of conversations. And, um, I'm learning, you know, the, how, you know, even though I've always known how hard it is for like when people have these conversations, like, you know, kind of like you're saying, like the root and the cause of it. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, I think we're, I think we're all still learning. And I think that's, <laughs> approaching it in a way of like, we're all human. We all don't know everything out of the sun and, and coming from a conversation the standpoint of like, not me versus you, but like, you know, how can we like learn together? How can we, you know, share each other's experiences and be like, Oh, well, that's interesting. Or like, Oh, I didn't know that. And like kind of grow from there. Yeah. Um, so but yeah, that'd yeah. be awesome if you, if you sent over that resources and I could like put it, yeah. put it on the page somehow and yeah, share that as yeah, well. Absolutely. Yeah, but it, but it, like you're saying, it's the good weird where it's where we're being put in proximity to each other and talking about these things. Uh, yeah, and that's where the weirdness it, comes from, right? Or the unsettledness, maybe. Right, and then and then realizing that like once you have the conversations, they're not as scary as you think they are. Yeah, 
Um, and I think there's also, I think that also deals with like stereotypes too, where it's like, um, I think it's the stereotype of like black women are going to be aggressive, mean, and like, you know, bullish, which is like this horrible stereotype that's been projected throughout centuries. And so having those conversations, you know, with a black female is going to be very different than having them with a black man or, you know, an Asian man or an Asian female. Um, and, and so it's, it's, there's so many layers <laughs> that like, I feel like I'm still learning about unraveling and understanding. And, you know, I think we're all going to be learning and doing this work for our entire lives as we should. And, yeah. um, I think, I think the first step though is kind of really just getting comfortable with being uncomfortable and yeah. learning that like, that's okay. I feel icky, but like, I'm going to work <laughs> through it. <laughs> like, yeah. Let's talk about it. Yeah. No. And I think just, you know, if our world can get can can get uh more integrated together right i mean just just how white denver is yeah you know and moving here yeah i wouldn't have thought denver was that white you know like i'm from kansas that's white right like yeah but but it, yeah I, it, you know I, yeah colorado is weird is because it's like it's this like quote-unquote liberal place that's like super not. And it's like, it's, I feel like Colorado is like the most liberal for some people. They're like, Oh, it's like liberal enough. They're really just like moderates mm, mm, mm-hmm. <laughs> or it's, you get the like, you know, bolder, really liberal to the point you're like almost kind of a Republican <laughs> again, yeah. liberal, where it's like, you make me uncomfortable because you're just like too much right now. Yeah. Liberal. And you know, it's a weird like combination of like this like cowboy culture i have my gun and my truck but i live in downtown denver and then like i love to compost and like that kind of stuff it's just, it's just it's a weird dichotomy of things but colorado is strange it's kind of like, it's, yeah it's kind of like oil and water right where there's just like yeah. globs of liberalness but, it, but it's analogy. not blended together yeah yeah that's uh, a great analogy Whereas I think California as a whole, there's definitely the Republican pockets for sure. But overall, it's incredibly more liberal, like liberalism is more saturated and it's more of a norm. And you definitely feel the difference. Yeah. Um, well, and it's more ethnically, ethnically yeah. diverse as well, right? I mean, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, I, you know, I see I see a lot of promise, like with this with the students that I have especially in undergrad yeah. you know it's a very diverse school and and Max um, uh, Mark Swack camera is like He's great. really great yeah. yeah and 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 so I keep I just keep kind of wondering well, when, when is that diversity going to start getting up into the profession profession right is it a, is it yeah. a time thing where they haven't got there yet or is it a thing where minorities are hitting a ceiling and going out of the profession and the school has been that diverse for 10 years and you just don't see people, you know, like, yeah, I think it's both. I think, you know, um, I was on a webinar yesterday with, um, Noma and they're talking mm. about kind of this thing about, you know, people, you know, the need, the need for, you know, increasing the pipeline and scholarships and, and mentorship for people to come into the profession and stay in the profession. And, you know, I think it's, I think it's really great that you, you know, people are focusing on, educating kids at a young age, like our connections to profession that you can mm. do this too. Um, and providing the, you know, the financial, um, ability to have people do it. Cause obviously professions, you know, school's really expensive. It's hard to work while you're doing it. It's, you know, it's a privilege in itself to be in, in, you know, school studying architecture. Um, but I think, you know, they're kind of also missing the point in the sense of that 
yeah, they, you might get them there, but they're going to want to leave. <laughs> like they're not going to stay in the profession because it's the profession itself, the culture of the profession is not, um, in such a way that it's inclusive and it's not in such a way that's inviting and welcoming for people of color to stay. Hmm. And then on top of that, especially when you're starting off, you don't get paid well. So it's like, there yeah. are many things that are like, why am I here? Why am I doing this? And I think this is about architects in general. It's like to be an architect, you really have to have a passion for it. Um, but I think to be like a black architect or a person of color architect, you really have to have a passion for it. And you really have to be like, there's nothing else I can be doing hmm. because if there was something else I could have been doing, I don't know, like five years, five, six years ago, I probably would have done that. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't have gone through all the schooling and yeah. I mean, yeah. this particular school type. Yeah. Right. And I mean, but it is really good to see, like there are, I mean, like, I think like CU is so diverse in comparison to a lot of other programs and thinking back to my, like my undergraduate, my undergraduate education was also very diverse. Like mm -hmm. out of the 20 kids, there were, I think, I think we're at least half female and then there I think out of 20 I think there are at least 14 people of color hmm. of all colors wow. and I never really realized how like how diverse our class was until um like I went to Tulane and kind of like graduated and it was like talking to other people's experience hmm. and then it's like it was just like very diverse and, and it was I mean spectacular and I kind of wish I you know really understood the value of that even more while I was there um but was too was Tulane not very diverse? No. No, really. Tulane is 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 a very white university. Oh, okay. Um, it was actually so in my class, um, I there there was one other um black girl, her name is Victoria, she's just a really good friend of mine. Um, and for the entire three years I was there, people could not keep our names straight. We like nothing alike. <laughs> Victoria and Casey, they really yeah. yeah. And she's like They're really very similar tall names. and she's like, you know, she's like dark and she's like, we look nothing alike. <laughs> And yet, you know, it's a very small school. Our class was 14 students and they could not keep our names separate. Huh. Um, and so, yeah, Tulane is a very white school. Tulane, New Orleans is interesting because it's, it's uh, there's a lot, you know, obviously a huge African-American population, but the city is so segregated. Hmm. And, but then there's also like where things intersect that are also really interesting too. That can hmm. be like beautiful, but also like cause a lot of conflict. Um, so if you haven't been to New Orleans, I highly recommend it. I have not actually, you know, I kind of stay out of the South, but, but, uh, I need to, yeah, explore a little it's, more. it's so like New Orleans is like definitely like a blue and a sea of red. Yeah. And, like, the rest of Louisiana is just like, mm. um, and, and I also like kind of, especially growing up in Southern California and LA and kind of having that like LA, like slight pretension of like, <laughs> Oh, the South. Um, there's some amazing people down there. There's some amazing, you know, just like cultures and experiences I've had. And, um, it's a, it's a weird, but fantastic place at the same time. And mm. I think people don't give it enough credit. Yeah. Even though there's a lot of shit down there too. And, you know, all the stuff that happened like yesterday in like Georgia and like all that election yeah. stuff is like bonkers. Um, but there are some really great people who live there, who are from there. Um, and, um, I think, you know, I think as people, we have a tendency to kind of just like you know, stereotype and categorize and, and, and group people to be like, Oh, the South, you're all terrible. But it's yeah, like, yeah. that's not the case, you know? And I think, I think as, as a culture, we all need to not do that. Yeah. <laughs> Myself included. Um, it's hard. Cause that's how, that's how we've learned how to, know. How to yeah. talk about things. Um, but yeah, I think it's important for us to just realize, yeah, just kind of be like, okay, there's some weird people. <laughs> 
but there's some good ones, good ones too. And that's, that's the truth everywhere. Yeah. And just that, uh, the, that ability to talk to everybody, right. And not just yeah. fall back into our camps even more. Right. Is, yeah, harder and harder. So do you think mm-hmm. that like within this last year, I mean, it's got, it has to be, have been a lot easier for uh, minorities to get jobs within architecture firms. I would think, I would think there's a scramble for like firms to diversify, mm-hmm. uh, you know? Um, yeah. But I don't know. I, I guess mean, it's also a hard time with the, with COVID, right? Like if, if people aren't, yeah. hiring, but. I think also it's still, it's like, what minorities? Yeah, that's <laughs> like true. there yeah. still aren't many of us, you know, yeah. I'm, one of 500 licensed female black architects in the country wow. since the start of licensure. So wow. like some of those people are dead, you know what I mean? So it's like, so you mean like in history, like in the in history. history. Wow. Huh. And so it's like, yeah. So it's like, where are people of color? There's a lot of people in school and that also goes with women as well. So it's like, there are a lot of women and people of color in schools, but then once it gets to a certain point into the career, like they're gone. Hmm. And I think that's the question that we should be asking firms is be like, why is this happening? Mm. What about your culture <laughs> is causing this to happen? And, and kind of addressing that, um, early starting to address it. And, um, I think, you know, since all the, all the events of since last summer, I think firms are starting to realize like, Oh, okay, maybe I need to do, be doing this. But I think a lot of firms are also doing it from a, uh, inauthentic, inauthentic standpoint. I think they're doing it because they feel like they have to versus mm-hmm. them actually wanting to. Um, a friend of a friend of a friend of mine who works for a large firm and, and she's been trying to kind of get her boss to kind of get sign off on, you know, doing certain things. And he, she sends them all these like emails and his response is just like, nice. It's like, cool, cool. You really don't care. <laughs> mm. um, and so I think that's, that's really difficult. Yeah. Um, Cause I guess it's even if you get into a firm, but if they're coming up from it, from an inauthentic place, right. Your experience yeah. is, it's going to be you're, equally you're as shitty. Gonna be, you're going to be gone. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He'll be tokenized and that's also bad. Yeah. Um, and so, so one thing that, so I'm on the co-chair for the JEDA committee for the AIA this year. Mm. Um, and one of our kind of initiatives that we're doing um, is basically trying to get it so that one of the 12 um, continuing education credits is specific to a JEDA topic. Mm. Um, and so that would cover, you know, like literally anything about, other people so like you know race sexism you know uh uh gender um sexual orientation um you know ability age like all those topics topics under the idea of like justice you know justice equity inclusion and diversity um to have that be a required requirement for one hour um and there's a lot of things that would qualify under that um just so that people are to an extent forced to at least for one hour of their 12 hours become aware of something that they uh, of someone else of so, yeah. something else um and i think others you know california has you know we have to do five hours in accessibility and like um i think um minnesota has you know, they have to do one hour like business ethics um mm. and so there's other precedents for it so that's one thing we're trying to to kind of push for colorado so hmm. what, yeah. what else what else is that committee doing so, so that's one, one of the things we're doing. Um, we also are working basically, so we're doing twofold. We're basically trying to attack um, and identify kind of firm culture 
and try to change from culture. And then we're mm-hmm. also trying to then also go the education around and kind of bring more people into the profession and then provide, provide ways and means for, for um, BIPOC people to stay in the profession. So, mm-hmm. you know, scholarships, pipeline, education of, you know, high school students are like, this depression you can do. Um, and then it's also um, self-education in terms of um, as, as a committee learning and growing and becoming more aware. Um, and so we're trying to attack it from all sides, both sides of like firm culture and then, um, the education and from the firm culture side, um, we're basically putting together a series of resources and trying to put it up on a website of like things you could do, people you could reach out to, um, and, and that, so you can learn so people can learn. And then, then the firms themselves could then one day take that on. And I think one of our really big lofty dream goals that won't happen this year would be to basically um, kind of create almost like a certificate program or some sort of like, um, uh, I guess a certificate program where you could be like, I took this class. Now I'm certified in this thing. And you have like continuing education, like you do for lead or well, hmm. um, in JEDI issues. And so, and you can, you know, do it either by the person or by a firm. And so the firm would go through a series of classes, um, and unconscious bias training and, and all those things to kind of really um, learn and uncover and discover how they can be doing things different within their own firm and to help support their own company, but also the profession as a whole. Hmm. Um, so that's a lot of work. Trying to, trying to do a lot. Yeah. I mean, I, if we were able to sort of really like my main goal this year is if we can get that one credit requirement, like that would be like massive win. Yeah. Um, so we'll see what happens, but, um, yeah, we, it's, it's a really interesting group of people and, and it's a pretty diverse group of people too. And, um, everyone has, has, a, you know, brings a lot to the table and we have some great conversations. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, awesome. the kids just got home, so they're about to like bust in the door here. So, uh, <laughs> it was a good, good timing, but awesome. Well, thank you so much. Have a great weekend. Yeah. You too. Yeah. See ya. Bye. Bye. This is Sarah Hubbard, host of You and Me Kid, a podcast about starting and raising a family on your own. We just launched season two, and I'm speaking with single moms, those still considering, and experts in relevant fields to give you a real sense of what the day-to-day experience of solo parenting looks and feels like. Plus, this season, I've partnered with California Cryobank, the number one sperm bank in the U.S. So wherever you are in the process, this podcast provides some support, humor, and helpful information. Listen to You and Me Kid wherever you get your podcasts.